Welcome to 2021. You've already been welcomed by Taylor, but let me extend a welcome to a new year uh, full of hopefully new possibilities. I know we get excited whether you're coming out of 2020 just to see 2021 here or you're just excited because it's a new opportunity. It's kind of like this time of year gives us the permission to have a fresh start, to begin something new, to to, to right or wrong or reset, maybe recalibrate our lives from where it has been and where it's going and maybe we want to change some things. It's out with the old and it's in with the new. And that's an okay thing. There's nothing magical about uh, it being 2021. There's certainly nothing magical about it being a new year. In in the grand scheme of things, maybe it's just another day on the calendar, a turning of the year. But I want to keep it as an elevated state of mind, okay? So let's keep it with that elevated state of mind. And let's ask the question, though, if we're going to do a reset, if we're going to do a reboot, if we're going to do a restart, What are we restarting back to? What are we rebooting back to? Because when you do a reboot, typically on your computer, it's going back to the original settings. It's kind of clearing away the clutter, the open, uh, the open things on the home screen or whatever. Like I know what I'm talking about here. You know, the whole reboot is a, a chance to restart and it typically goes back to where it should be from the beginning. So where are we going? If we're going to reboot, if we're going to restart, if we're going to reset, if we're going to refresh, where are we going back to? And I want to propose to you, not just simply going out with the old and in with the new. I want to encourage you to not just reboot to something new and shiny. I want you to think about what it would take to go back before we go forward. What would it look like if we reset off of a vintage model? Uh, vintage is cool now. Uh, what if we reset off of a vintage model versus what a, a, an attempt on something new into the future, something new and shiny into the future. And I, when I talk about that, I I really want to look at it, not just from a, you know, let's go back to pre 2020, Uh, let's go back more than 2000 years ago, but let's go back more than 4,000 years ago. Let's go back to the beginning of time and let's say, let's put time into perspective. What would it look like if we were to reboot our timeline against God's timeline? And what if we were to say, okay, God, I don't want to just start over. I want to start over at the beginning. And if you look at the beginning of time, you find this perfect order. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything is in sync. Okay, systems are in place. Um, uh, God's perfect plan is in order. Every time he makes something, he says, it's good. Okay. It's tov is the Hebrew word, except for one time he made man, he made him alone. He says, it's not good, but God stayed with it until it was good. And he made woman and he brought them together. But let us think about it like that. What if we were to reboot back to God's original plan? And that was to be where we would refresh. Because if you look at life in a grand scheme of a timeline, if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, things are in their perfect order. If you go to Revelation 21 and 22, everything is in its perfect order. God is on the throne. Darkness is is gone. Truth is reigns. Everything is right and good. And so where do we live? We live in the messy middle. And if we look at this, 
How is it that we are to set ourselves? As much as it's important to read Revelation to know when the end times are going to come, to know how it's all going to end, to know the end of the story, I want to say the best thing we can benchmark off of is the beginning of time. And that's why we're going to spend over the next three months, two and a half months actually, we're going to spend most of our time in two chapters. We're going to spend all of our time today in just two verses. In fact, I could have spent all of our time in just the very first verse of Genesis. But when you look at it, you have to see it in the grand scheme of things. Christopher Wright said it like this. The Bible begins and ends with creation. It opens with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And its final great vision opens with the words, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So let us reboot, let us refresh, let us restart, but let us not just do it off of some whim back in time, in, in, in space, but let us go back to the very beginning, to God's original design, the way he made us in the very beginning of time. And to really understand it, you almost have to read Revelation at the same time you read Genesis. And you've got to understand the end is going to look a lot like the beginning. And so let us get back to God's original design. Now, when I talk about the first 11 chapters, which is where we're going to be in Genesis over the course of the next two and a half months, and when I talk about the first 11 chapters, you're talking about the foundation of foundations, okay? We're going to go back to God's original design, and if we're going to do that, we're going to go back to the first 11 chapters, and if you really wanted to take the book of Genesis and wanted to divide it into two books, even though it's about eight different books all rolled up in one, if you were to divide it into two books, you would go Genesis 1 to 11, and then you'd go 11 to 50, or 12 to verse, uh, chapter 12 to verse uh, 50. Uh, chapter 50, excuse me. And so you, that's the, that's the span of time. We're gonna look between now and getting ready for Easter. We're gonna spend our time in the first 11 chapters. Now, interesting thing. I say it's the most important section of scripture. I say it's the foundation of all foundations. But not only do I say it, but all of the New Testament writers say it. Every writer of the New Testament, at some point in their writings, will quote from the first 11 chapters, anchoring everything back to the very first chapters, the very first words of time. Martin Luther said it like this, there's nothing more beautiful than the book of Genesis, nothing more useful. It is certainly the foundation of the whole of scripture, the foundation of all of scriptures. And if we're going to be a people of this book, we need to understand the foundations on which everything is built upon. This is the way John Salheimer said it like this. He said the seven words, the very first seven words in the Hebrew Bible, verse 1, are the foundations of all that follow in the Bible. So I'm just trying to elevate something here if you haven't noticed this. That if you want to understand it all, you want to put a stake in the ground. You want to understand the footings of which all of life, everything that's breathing, moving, has existed in time and space. Everything of everything. Study the book of Genesis. But if you want to study it even deeper, 
go to the first 11 chapters. But if you want to go even deeper than that, go to the first two chapters. Then if you want to go even deeper than that, then go to the very first chapter. And if you want to go very, very specific, go to the first seven words. That's the pinnacle of this. The very foundation of everything that we're talking about today. Now, I will say this. This is a foundational series of messages. We're going to take the entire 2021, we're going to go through the book of Genesis. 50 chapters, okay? That's a lot. That's a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of focus, and we're going to spread out the love, okay? And But we're going to be very densely packaged in the beginning, and then we're going to spread it out when we get into more of the narrative format. But we got to understand our foundations. At the same time, let me say this. As as much as I say this is foundational passage of Scripture, chapters 1 through 11 is the most controversial passages in all of the Bible. And the reason I say that is because many people mark it up as legend and mythology. They mark it up as something that is absolutely not true, couldn't be true, furthest thing from the truth. And listen, whenever everything I'm going to say in these first few weeks, especially, especially the month of January, will fly counter to the culture in which we live. Hear what I'm about to say. Everything that Satan has tried to do since the beginning of time is erode our foundations. Because if we can get our foundations to erode, then everything else crumbles above the foundation. Everything that he has tried to do since that time. So everything that I'm going to say in the next few weeks will be about laying our foundation. And how significant and important they are. So hang with me on that because this world has been trying, Satan has been trying to erode. You just need to go to the Humanist Manifesto. There's been three editions written in the 1930s, all the way to 2008 was the last edition. And this is a statement that they make in this. And every statement that they make in the Humanist Manifesto, which is the foundation of education, which is the foundation of our social worldview of, of the day in which we live, Everything that is made in this statement is what you're going to get from pop culture, is what you're going to get from society, is what you're going to get from science, is what you're going to get in in, in a secular uh, mindset. This is a direct quote, direct quotes that that have been picked out. Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. So therefore, everything in our education system is telling to tell us that there's not a creator, It is existing because the universe has brought it into existence. We begin with humans, not God. You'll look at the very beginning of of time and every since chapter 3 of Genesis, we have been trying to dethrone God and ascend to the throne ourselves. We'll get to that in a few weeks. We begin with humans, not with God. We discover no divine purpose or providence in the human species. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. That is the secular world in which we live. It's just what's been dealt. It's what your kids are being educated off of. It's what you were probably educated off of. And it may be even some elements in there that you believe yourself. But I want to tell you, it's the very foundation of it all. You find the book of Genesis, 
And I tell you, you find the book of Genesis in chapter 1 to 11, you find the book of Genesis in the very first chapters, and you will find a foundation that refutes everything that I just read. We have been seeking in a world order to delete God and usurp man. Exalt ourselves, our wills, our agendas for a long time. And it's time for us to understand that our world is based on a God who made it, who breathed it into existence, sustains it with his breath, and he is the one that we should bow our life to. Can I get an amen somewhere in that? If we did not learn anything from COVID-19, let us learn that a virus smaller than the pinky fingernail that I have, smaller than the head of a pen, can take all of humanity and bring us to our knees. A virus as small as a pin of a needle and smaller than that can stop the powerful human race and cause fear and trepidation. We need to learn to marry science and the scriptures together. Einstein said it like this, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Thomas Edison said, when you... When you see everything that happens in the world, uh, science, in, in the world science and in the working of the universe, you cannot deny that there is a captain of the bridge. And I want to leave it right there and just say, whether you call the captain of the bridge God, or you just call him the captain of the bridge, or you to call him a divine designer, I'll let you in your world call him what you will. I'm going to land on the word God for just the sake of time, but I want us to hang out out there. In fact, next week, everything we're going to have is going to be about studying God's creative order, the, the captain of the bridge and how he brought it all together. And I'm not teaching it. All right, we're going to have an astronomer, we're going to have a physicist, he will be here on Sunday morning, he'll be here on Sunday night, and he will share with us about God's creation. His specialty is literally, he told me when we had our our very first phone call, my specialty is verse 4, 5, and 6. Hey, can you imagine, your specialty is Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, 5, and 6. That's where he will be next week. We'll be diving deeper into that. This week, that's the bigness of our universe, but we understand the bigness of our universe when we understand the bigness of our God. How big is your God? How big is your God? Look at the universe and then back out of that. Look at the universe and go, okay, if this is the universe, we can't get telescopes to the end of our universe. We can't capture all the stars, the billions upon billions of them. We try to number them and we find more of them. If that is the infinite galaxy that we live in, then what could there be an infinite God who made it? Is there a captain of the bridge? I think it all depends on how big your God is. I think you can ask how big your God is by asking how big is a hamburger. Okay? Not probably not the question that you thought about asking yourself this morning when you came to church, but how big is a hamburger? Now, when I grew up, and I can remember when the Happy Meal was created. That's how old I am. When the Happy Meal cre- was created, it was so awesome as a kid because you got this little bitty cheeseburger. And by the way, that cheeseburger is not the correct size. The actual size is not that big. Okay? So you will be sold a bill of goods. So... This is the Happy Meal box that you get today. 
And I remember getting a Happy Meal box and I was excited about my cheeseburger, excited about my french fries, but I was even more excited about what? The toy! The toy inside. And I got one this morning and it came with a toy just like whenever I was growing up. But I can remember that one day I outgrew the cheeseburger of the Happy Meal. And I went to the Quarter Pounder. And that was a good day because there was more meat and there was more cheese and there was more of everything. But then there was a day that I graduated to the Big Mac. And there was nothing bigger than the Big Mac. Two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, uh, pickles and onions on a sesame seed bun. And, and that's what I remember looking forward to the day that I could put my mouth around that burger. But even then, I realized that there was a time, I can remember in, in living in South Africa or living in, uh, in Southern Africa and going to South Africa, I ate McDonald's four times in one 24-hour period. I had a hard time going to the bathroom after that. That's probably TMI, but uh, that's, that's the reality of the impact. I just kept eating McDonald's, McDonald's, because I couldn't, I didn't have them in Zambia, but we had them in South Africa. And so, it, but the Big Mac was, is the biggest burger you can get at McDonald's. If that's as big as your God is, then that's your God. If your God is the Happy Meal box with a squeezy toy on the inside, then that's your God. But then there was a day that I met my match. I was over in southwest of, uh, of Oklahoma City in a little three-point junction in the road called Mears, Oklahoma. Anybody ever been to Mears, Oklahoma? Okay, one a person. Okay, two people. There is a little corner restaurant there. They make a Mears burger. And it is 22 ounces of longhorn beef patties put together and served to you on a pie plate, a platter. And this is a picture of it. They literally take the burger patties, put them together, and then they melt cheese to keep it all connected. They put it in front of you and you get to eat it. Now, as Fat Mike used to eat burgers uh, like going out of style, that was a challenge that I wanted to take on. Now, even Fat Mike could not eat that much. Okay, so I gave up. So what I'm trying to say is, how big is your God? Ask the question, how big is your God based? How big is your burger? Sometimes we can only handle a Happy Meal God. And sometimes that's all we really want. We want a God that will give us a squishy toy in life. And we'll be happy. We'll be content. But what God wants is a size of him that we cannot even handle. Do you have a small God or a big God? J.D. Greer said it like this. We want a big God, but we want a God that we can control. A happy meal God is a God you can control. You can keep God in a box. You can seal him up. And you can open him up every now and then and get your toy out. And you can play with him. And then you can put him back up and you can throw him away or you can put him on a shelf. I hope that you will not have a happy meal, God. Let us how, how then do we even begin to unravel and unpack and, and and understand God? Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter one. By the way, thanks to your generosity, we have been able to see the entire book of Genesis. Going to be translated in the little horse language. Thank the Lord for that. Thank you for your generosity. 
And that process is being done. So if you, if you gave to our, to our offering, please stop by, highlight the verses that we want to see every verse highlighted as we go. And somebody beat me to Genesis chapter one, verse one. Let's read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, so short, so powerful. Read it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That right there is enough to lead someone, if they understand just the full density of those verses, those words, they can actually draw themselves to their knees and shake because there is a reality that there is a God that is so much bigger than they are. How do you measure God? Do you measure Him in metrics or imperial? Do you measure Him in time and in, 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 in mass? Do you, how do you measure out God? How big is your God? How do you measure infinity? How do you speak of it? I have been overwhelmed with the, 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 the reality that I am standing before you today. And I'm coming to you that are watching online today. And I'm trying to articulate something that is infinite with a finite vocabulary. It is impossible. So please let verse 1 and 2 sink into your soul. And would you pray that with me right now? Father God. We cannot speak of you and do adequate words of your greatness. God, would you be so here, so present, so real, so life transforming that we will know and we will sing how great is our God. In Jesus' name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. How do you measure God? I think the two ways that I've landed on measuring the size of a God is whenever you understand him in his majesty and you understand him in his might. That's just a way that's not, that's not a, a comprehensive way because again, he's infinite. There's no comprehensive way to do it. But let us just begin to understand verse one and verse two and understand the majesty and the might of God. The majesty and the might of God. The majesty of God is that we see that God's reign was before the creation of time. God began and whenever, excuse me, God did not begin, but God began all things. And God was already there. If you go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and you read it in the Hebrew language, it would say Barat, uh, uh, Bereshit, Bara Elohim. And these words right there are so incredibly powerful in that just breaking them down word by word. So let us ask the majesty questions. When it did God create? When did this all things begin? In, in the beginning, okay? He says, in the beginning. Bereshit, it's the very first word in the Hebrew Bible. It's Bereshit is actually the word for Genesis. Genesis means beginning, means origin. So if you were to understand Bereshit, you were to understand beginning, you were to understand origin, you would understand Genesis. And let us use... 
the most creative mind. Let us have eyes that see beyond our limitations. And whenever you come to this God and you understand that everything that is began with God. In the beginning, he started the stopwatch on time. Time is what we live by. We function by time. When is this message going to be over? You had guests that came at Christmas time or you went somewhere and you asked, how much longer till we get there? You, When your guests came, how long are you here for? And then... Then a couple days in, how much longer are you going to be here? And and you're you're asking constant time. Parents, you're waiting for the time for your kids to go back to school tomorrow morning. So we live and we function with time. Whenever you think about your life, when, when it all comes to an end, whenever you're all put in a pine box and you're buried in a cemetery, the very last words that are given over your body are your name when time began and when time ended. We live in time. Time did not always exist. I know that seems so philosophical, but it did not always exist. But before time, God was. Before anything was, God was. Before time was, before matter was, before space was, before anything that we could measure, there was a God that existed in that space and time. His words existed. He existed as a person. His words existed. Proverbs 8, verse 22 and 23 says, The Lord possessed me. At the beginning of his work, the Lord first of his acts of old. He's referring to wisdom here. Ages ago, I, wisdom, was set up uh, at the first before the beginning of the earth. Whenever you're praying for wisdom, you're praying for literally the mind of God. So before time began, wisdom existed. Before, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the mind of God. It's the thoughts of God. God has always existed, even before time. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 10, it talks about how work existed, how he worked to create the world in which we live. The Lord laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning in the heavens, and the works of His hands. Let us today understand that we have a supersized God and that He is beyond it all. Time, space, matter, thoughts, ideas, words, peoples, He is so much beyond it all. He has nothing holding Him back. Who is He? He is God. When you're talking about the majesty, you're talking about who? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, not matter. Not in the beginning, uh, atoms. Not in the beginning, ideas. Not in the, in the beginning, God. We just spent a time referring to God in all of His eminence. But I want us to understand God that He is above it all. He is beyond it all, but He is above it all. He is transcendent. And the word for God here is not the normal word for God that we see many times in Scripture, but it's all you see in the beginning of Genesis. Later on, we'll be introduced to another word called Yahweh, which is the word for Lord. This is the word Elohim. 
And it is the word for the most transcendent recognition of God. It is the word for God that is beyond time. This is one definition. God without limiting point of reference. There is no beginning and there is no end. God simply is. And again, this may blow your mind, but let it blow your mind because we have a ginormous God who is beyond all and he is above all. He is transcendent. We have just talked about Emmanuel, God with us, but let us today focus on Elohim, God beyond us. He is without limits. It's stated in the Hebrew plural form, El meaning God, Elohim meaning plural God. So is there many gods? No. In in the Hebrew, if you wanted to emphasize the greatness of something, you might write it in the plural form. And it's Elohim, but I also want to point out that the Elohim refers to the plurality of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So whenever we say Barak, uh, bara Elohim, we're saying that, that this God who is beyond it all, above it all, is too vast to be contained in a singular form. That He is a God that is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And whenever you read the scriptures and you find that the God the Father was there in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God the Father was there, God said, let us make Let us make man in our plurality, singular Godhead, plurality Trinity. Let us make God in our image after our likeness. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks as we talk about the I, our identity in this, in this world. But also God the Son was very present. Jesus was very present in creation. In John chapter 1 verse 3, all things were made through Him. There, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was in the beginning. The Father was in the beginning. And the Holy Spirit was there. Where do we see in verse 2? But the Spirit was hovering over the waters. So you see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Holy Spirit. You see them all working in unison. Jesus did not begin a meek and mild manger in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus has always been. He has always existed. That is the God who created it all. He is beyond constraint. He is beyond being measured. That is his majesty. Also, the how. What did he do? He created. Again, I can tell you there's so much in this one verse, in these first seven uh, phrases, of these first seven words that you cannot contain them all. Now, let me say this. This is not a book of science, okay? There's many times that this, you'll ask this book a question uh, how did you create something, God? And scientists have debated uh, since since there have been debates about how God created. And I'm not going to begin to go there. This is not a book of science, but hear me out. Whenever it speaks to science, it is absolutely inerrant and infallible. The truth that is contained within, he may not tell us the how, but he will tell us the what. And he might even tell us the why. Why God created it. How? That may happen somewhere in time. We may learn it through science. Science and religion, science and faith do go together. Go back to my earlier statement. We can learn from each other. But let us know this about God. That God can do it all. Our supersized God can do it all. 
What did I say that Hebrew phrase was? Barashit bara Elohim. The word bara is used. Now hear this. It is the Hebrew word to create. It is a Hebrew verb to create. Now this is so important. And this is worth you getting out of bed and coming here. This is worth you getting online and watching it. The Hebrew word create, bara, only ever has in all of the Bible one subject. And it is God. God is the only subject ever attached to the Hebrew word bara. How is that important and why is that important? Because what that is saying is what this creation is, bara, is different than this creation over here, yashar. Two different Hebrew words, bara, yashar. Only God is ever attached to bara. Yashar actually has man creation making things. Bara means to make something out of nothing. Yashar means to rearrange the molecules and to make things. We might yashar something in the Hebrew language. We might take yeast and we might take flour and we might make bread. And we might call that a beautiful creation. We might even have a prior, uh, a, a patent on our recipe. But we did not create, we only yashard. We only moved around the molecules. What God does, and this is the beauty of God, is he can take absolutely nothing and create everything. That is the size of our God. That is his majesty. That is beyond anything else, anybody else. There's nothing else out there. Ex nihilo is the, is the Latin phrase, which means to create something out of nothing. To create something out of nothing. What? What did he create? He created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. In the beginning... God created, bara, something out of nothing. What did he create? Something out of nothing. He created out of nothingness. He created the heavens and the earth. This speaks of God's touch on all. God's reign is so much beyond all, above all, and can do all, but he also touches all. There's nothing beyond the reach of God. This word heavens and earth is the idea of a totality of creation. The idea that he created everything from the earth all the way to the ends of the galaxies where the Hubble spaceship has yet to take photos. He created everything. You think, how in the world could God do that? If you have a happy meal God, he can't. All you get are warm, squishy toys from that kind of God. And maybe constipation. But if you have a God-sized God who is beyond it all, can touch it all, the totality of what he can touch and create is, is beyond our imagination. Whenever he says from the heavens to the earth, it's like saying, like it says in the Greek, from the alpha to omega. Like what we say when we say something from A to Z. He's literally saying from the heavens to the earth, everything that is made, everything that exists is from God. Again, I point to next week, we will talk more about the heavens and we'll talk more about the earth. 
But whenever you look at God, you see His majesty. And if you can just begin to measure His majesty, you look at the who, you look at the what, you look at, you look at what He created, you look at where He created, you look at all of that and you begin to see in verse 1, our God is beyond our comprehension, beyond words and description. But we also need to see the might of God. The majesty of God, but the might of God is that God reigns over creation. He not just reigned before creation, before time, before it all began. He was not just before, before, before. He has still to this very day is ruling it. Now here's where we go into some complexity. There's so much complexity in Genesis. I can't even begin to get you to to understand what I've gone through in the past weeks trying to prepare for this. But when you go to verse two, there are many people who put a gap between verse one and verse two. As God creates, what happens next? What did he create? It says, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. What is this that he creates? What is this form? What is this thing out there? Whenever you think of infinity God, that God is, 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 has always been and that God will always be. When you think of God in His perfect creation and in Genesis 1, He, He creates the world out of nothingness, the universe out of nothingness, the heavens out of nothingness, and He puts it all out there. What was it like? It was formless and void. There was nothing to it. You couldn't inhabit it. It was, it was inhabitable. It's the Hebrew word tohu wabohu in the, is the phrase formless and void. Tahu, uh, bohu is not used very many times, so I'm not going to rely on it, but I am going to focus on the word tohu. The word tohu, formless, meaning the idea that it was inhabitable. Walkie, Bruce Walkie, one of the ones I lean on heavily in this series is, he says it was a negative state of the earth, reflects a situation in which the earth was not producing life. There was a time and a period, it could have been over seasons of time, could it be over billions of years. I'm going to let the scientists talk about the how. Or was this a time that the world existed, the universe existed, and it was void and it was dark and inhabitable? And yes, I would say that that was the time in creation. And when I talk about formless and I talk about inhabitable, there's one other time that I want to point to that this word is used. And it's used in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. And this is the way he describes the desert. The same word, tohu, the howling waste of the wilderness. The earth was created by a God who created it out of nothing and it was formless and void, uninhabitable. But not only that, the next phrase is there's darkness that covered the deep. What is the darkness? The darkness points to a darkness of sin, of brokenness that makes up the world. Is this the time that there was a fall of the angelic beings That there was a battle, a cosmic battle in heaven, a cosmic battle in time and space. After God has created angelic beings, a third of them, it says in Revelations, fall. And they take a a, a third of the angels with them. Is this a cosmic battle that happens on the earth? 
Is this the time when, and again, I'm asking questions because I'm still asking questions even in my own student as I study this. Is this the time whenever God creates this order in the the mass, of, I won't even say years because I don't know how many years, that is in this space and time that darkness, that formless, that sin was introduced and that what happens next is a recreation of the earth. And we'll save that again for the weeks ahead. But I have to believe, as you look at, again, I refer to Walkie and other people that believe this. And then you read Jeremiah's words. And Jeremiah, years and years and years later, refers back to this time. And he calls it like this. Jeremiah, in chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, he says, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form, and it was void. The very phrase that he uses in Genesis chapter 2, 1, verse 2. And to the heavens, and they had no light. And it looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. Is this a platonic shifting in the earth? I don't know. It certainly sounds like it could be. But in spite of, if this is true, and this is the time that the angels fell, and the darkness is on the earth, and the earth is uninhabitable, and it's after God's created it and started the creation cycle or or, 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 or of, of things... What's happening here? Listen, it doesn't matter, and I won't have all the answers, neither will the guy next week or the guy after that, or anybody else will have all the answers. But here's what I do know. That even in the darkness, and that even in the formlessness, and even in the void of creation, there is still a reigning God in that space. That there's never a darkness that's so dark that he doesn't shine. There's never a place that's so, so, so deprived that he's not there. Because if you even notice at the end of it, almost as a climactic statement, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God was still in that dark earth. Listen, we have a supersized God who conquers all. You cannot find a place. You cannot find a a, a spirit. You cannot find a, 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 a fallen angel. You cannot find a demonic spirit. You cannot find any of that, that his spirit is not greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if I realize this and I, and I rest in this and I think about to David's own words in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12, listen to this. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? I have to think that David was thinking about this very passage. Where can I go from your presence? God, if I, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the place of Sheol. Listen, Sheol is a place known for two things. Either it's the place of the grave, the dead, or it's the place of hell. Hell, an eternal place of damnation. That God did not create for humanity. He created for fallen angels. But even there, God is. And God's in hell, yes. You experience the wrath of God in hell. You are there. If I take with the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Darkness, again, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, shall cover me. Your light, the light about me, uh, uh, be night. 
even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day and the darkness as the light. Let me me just, the last verse again. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. What is that? There is nothing that God cannot shine his light in. There's nothing that God cannot conquer. How big is your God? If you only have a happy meal God, I feel sorry for you. If you have a God who made it all, conquers it all, can do it all, listen, may we today remember that He is beyond all, He is above all, He can do all, He touches all, and He conquers all. And that is the God that I want to worship. That is the God that I want to spend my life giving myself to because I can never outgive Him. And I could never describe him to you enough. I think about the little boy named Eric. He was in kindergarten class in a Christian school. And he was asked, everyone was asked, given the assignment, to draw the most important thing in their life. And then they could go to recess. Well, needless to say, a lot of kids scribbled it down, put it on the teacher's desk, and walked out the door to recess. But not Eric. In the back of the classroom, he's sitting back there. And he is going to town. He is making it as best he can. The teacher finally comes back. He's the last kid in the class. Everyone else is at recess. He's back. She said, what are you doing, Eric? She said, he said, I am drawing God. (laughs) And she patted him on the shoulder. She says, you got to realize, Eric, nobody knows what God looks like. And he said, when I'm done, they will. You know, I hope that you got this much of an understanding of God today. And I hope, God forbid, that your God is bigger than a Happy Meal. If you don't know that God, I challenge you, give yourself to Him. Father God, you are incredible. You are indescribable. I can't do you justice. Don't let us live another day with a small God in a box. Giving us toys for life. God, would you be the God who changes who's in charge of everything, who conquers everything, who is beyond everything, who is beyond everything, who can do anything. Would you be that God to us today? We pray this in the powerful and the mighty name. Jesus.
Would you stand? Would you sing of our great God?